Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. A three-run home run for Buckington. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. to two. Bill Lee is now going over to a couple of the Yankees, and there they go again. Tech and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. What can I say? Just dip my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. And welcome to episode 59 of Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, which morphed into really just a, an amazing baseball podcast, really, to be quite honest with you. John Seneca, Brian Jackman here with you, uh, holiday edition. And actually, we—if you're watching us on YouTube—we got headsets on today because we have a guest and uh, kind of a cool guest uh, for me, at least, and I think for you when you uh, get to hear from him a little bit. John, what's happening? Not much. Uh, getting into the home stretch of the holiday season here, Brian, and you know, trying to deal with all the stuff with the kids and uh, keeping them from bouncing off the walls and getting them to school on time, and you know, the typical stuff that leads up to the big day. Right. And then when we get past the big day into the new year, then we'll start to get a little nervous about. Pitchers and catchers reporting. No because, baseball news at all. Tons of yeah. minor league crap, but nothing, so, nothing to be talked about, really. Like, not, <laughs> not quiet in a good way either. And so, our guest today, his name is Dominic Rivers. We call him Dom. And I first met Dom in the fall of 1988 on the campus of Phillips Exeter Academy, and where I transferred from Swampscott High School as a junior. And I lived in a, a dorm that wasn't really a dorm. Was that a sports transfer, Brian? Were you there on a sports? Well, I thought I was there for sports, but it didn't turn out that way. No. <laughs> Don, I, Don, was he was he an athlete back then? Was Brian an athlete back then? No, no he was, but he was a legitimate scholar, too. Thank uh, you. Know, he, 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 was, he was a varsity hockey player. And did, did you make varsity in any other sports or... Well, I switched from tennis to lacrosse my junior year, and then in my senior year I decided to do a play, and I didn't play football. I focused on hockey, but the thing was, the truth is, I thought I came there thinking I was a big deal in hockey, and I left there knowing I wasn't. But you played you played hockey and tennis. That's quite a difference. Yeah, well, it was funny because at Swampscott High School, tennis wasn't that good, and I didn't want to play baseball, and I could play tennis. And, like, honestly, it was so fun coming off of hockey. I played doubles. You know, I mean, it was just, but it was a totally different crowd. And, it, but I wasn't good enough tennis player to play at Exeter. But anyway, Dom was, we lived in a house with 12, 13 guys in all. 13, yeah. And Dom was, you know, in, in, to be honest, I mean, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a dorm full of juniors, seniors, and PGs, almost all athletes, there was Dom. 
<laughs> and I say that with respect. Um, but he might actually have been the biggest sports fan out of everybody. So, first of all, Dominic Rivers, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. I enjoy your show. Thanks for inviting me. So, I mean, the the thing, I, the memory I have the most was I, I think it was a pig. I don't think it was a bear. I think it was a pig with a Reds hat. Was a huge stuffed animal they had in his bedroom. It, it, I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, that's right. Is it was it a pig? What was it? It, it was it was, a, it was a stuffed animal pig about the size of Marge shot. The trunk of a Honda Accord, maybe. I mean, that big. And it was it was a stage prop. Uh, you know, my parents work in the arts. That, that I just got handed to me, and I threw a baseball hat on it. I, I don't know what I was thinking bringing it there, but. Uh, it, it uh, I, I don't know. I guess I wanted to stand out some way. It wasn't going to be playing varsity hockey. <laughs> he snuggled with the big pig. Um, and he, so he's a Cincinnati Reds fan. And, you know, just talk a little bit about, um, you know, your life as a fan and how you, you know, where you came from, why you became a Reds fan, and how big a, a baseball fan you are, like, relative to the rest of the world. Well, put, to put it in context, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's, it's a big baseball town so i mean i played little league and whatnot but I, I think the two biggest reasons i became a cincinnati reds fan and that i continue to follow baseball maybe more than the average person even theirs from two reasons one uh paternal grandparents my dad's parents and two uh, marty brenneman the reds announcer so uh yeah mike i think the even though I wasn't, I didn't have athletic talent. The, the, the love of baseball sort of skipped a generation. And my dad, uh, just recently retired music professor and serious musician. And true story, he got his nose broken the first day of Little League. Uh, you know, the ball hit him right in the nose, and it just it never the bug never took. So, Reds games were something I listened to with my grandparents when I go over there. And even, even though he turned kind of into a cranky old man at his old age, I mean Marty Brenneman. Uh, was great on the radio and, and there were there were days where i don't know maybe at age 10 11 i probably caught 120 of 160 games on the radio or on tv with the radio on wow and uh yeah, and so you got it from your grandfather and the announcer is what drew you in and you know yeah. we go ahead oh sorry grandmother to some extent too both of them and so the reds were i mean now they they were great in the seventies, obviously with the big red machine. So you, but you were probably three or four years old when they won that World Series, right? You, you hit it right on the head. It was it, I was aware of names like Rose and Bench, and I, I would have gone in my first game that I, I honestly don't remember at a time when the big red machine was playing. But the first season I really started to follow, I, I, I was seven and. Most of the Big Red Machine was gone, but they were still a playoff team. That was the year of the Pirates and uh, with the We Are Family and all that. Yeah, seventy eight World yeah. Series, so seventy nine. Yeah, so yeah. so they they beat the Reds in the NLCS that year. That was it still wasn't a bad time to, to catch on. Morgan was still there, and Bench was still there. Um, you know, they weren't as good as they were. Tom Seaver, you know, had come over in the trade. So, but then, but then you're right. Most of my fandom was when the Reds were terrible. I think they went from a playoff team to a 60 and 102 or something like that uh, in 1982. Yeah, that's when I would have been 10. So yeah, it, it's for the, I, I'm not really backing a winner. So I was not, I, I wouldn't say I'd have the complex of the 
Red Sox fans because they didn't really lose in that dramatic of a fashion. They just were bad, you know. Um, but uh, but then you know by my freshman year of college, they had that surprise World Championship in 1990, and that's the last time the Reds won a championship. Yeah, I mean, look at the playoff history. They won in '90, which I forgot about, and yeah. then they made it to the playoffs in '95. 2010, yeah. 2012, 2013, and 2020. Well, they weren't supposed to win in 90. That was the year the A's were supposed to win back-to-back yeah. championships, and they walked in there and uh, smacked them around. Yeah, they swept them. So that was the Bash Brothers? That was that Canseco was Bash, and yep. McGuire? Because I believe yeah. the Dodgers was 88, right? And then the, Correct. the yeah. A's yeah. were 89 with the Bash Brothers. That was the year of the earthquake against San Francisco. Right. Yeah. And then ninety, they were supposed to they were good, supposed to run away with it. I mean, the Reds didn't have a chance from what everyone was saying, I believe. So that was the Rob Dibble and the Lou Pinella, the nasty boys. Yeah, and John touched on a couple things there. I mean, I think there's a lot of similarity between the great Orioles teams of the late '60s, early '70s, and those A's teams of the late '80s. They got to the World Series three years in a row, and they both won just one. Right. I mean, I've met in the middle one in both cases, but it's. Uh, that they would have been considered a dynasty, like you know the '77, '78 Yankees, and that sort of you know mini dynasty. If, if they had maybe won two instead of three, the, the A's were good. I would say the Reds were better than their record. That was the year they started eight and zero, and you know something like you know fifteen and three or something. And they pretty much they they, they were wire to wire team, and they rested a lot of people, things like that. So they were better than people thought going in. Uh, but no, the 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 A's had uh, you know McGuire had a low average year, but still had his power. Ricky was incredible, you know, hitting. I don't have it in front of me, but I assume around thirty homers and. Well, I, I think that was they had that was they had four consecutive rookie of the years. It was like Canseco, McGuire, Steinbach, mm-hmm. Walt Weiss. I think was on oh, that wow. team. Like, yeah, they, 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 they were, were a loaded. juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dave they, Stewart, they, they I believe, was on that team. Uh, pitching wise, but if you look at the numbers, the Reds haven't won an actual playoff game. Oh yeah, no, since '95, I believe. Well, then they get no, they got no hit against Roy Holiday, didn't they? What's that? They they, they they won they won two in a series against the Giants, and that they have not won a playoff series. They have won two games. Oh, they, oh yeah, in 2012, I got it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and it was. That was one of those years that the that the Giants. I forget if they were a wild card or if they were a division winner, but it's, it's amazing they won three in five years because the Reds had them, you know, two zero yeah. going home. Right. The Reds. It was one of these weird years where it was going to be a two three as opposed to a two two one, and so the Reds went to San Francisco one two. Vada was hurt; he could only get singles. Well, so they had they had three chances at home to close out that series yeah. and couldn't do it. That's that's amazing. It's funny when I. Yeah, when, I when I yeah. look at this, I, I, I didn't even know the Reds made the playoffs that much in the last 20 years. I would have thought it would have been like once. I just have no I have no memory even of 2020 for some, some reason. I don't know why, but it would just it happened so fast. But listen, we're talking about Dominic Rivers here, and, and the real reason I wanted to, to have you on here on episode 59 of Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, is that a couple of years after college, I think, and you, Dom, your memory is way better than mine, yeah. Dom asked me to join a rotisserie baseball league. And this, what year was this? This is like two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. So fantasy sports had had started, but hadn't really exploded. 
They really, I mean, it started to emerge because I remember, I, I mean, I started the fantasy focused radio show on ESPN Radio, but that wasn't until like, oh, I don't want to say like, oh, four or something. You like started that. playing with me in 2003 in that NBC league. Right. Okay. So this predated that. And like, I had no bleeping clue what the hell Dominus friends were talking about. Like, I mean, literally, like, I have no, I thought maybe like you punch in a couple numbers and, oh, and you get this. Like, they're talking about crap that I'd never heard of. And then you have cards and these numbers. And I mean, just first of all, for people out there, what the, what is rotisserie baseball? Is this, is this all like the, the Bill James stuff? Or like, I don't even understand it to yeah. this day. Yeah, and it's, it's good to go into that. I mean, rotisserie gets that name from the if you go back to the it might even be in the Ken Burns documentary it was the name of a restaurant where they started the game and it was the writer Donald O'Krent was part of it and some other people that are somewhat have some notoriety but rotisserie specifically their style of play is it's uh, it's not a point system it's you know if you're first in home runs you get and there's 10 guys in your league you get 10 teams you get 10 points Second in RBIs, you get nine points, et cetera. And so what we had, Brian, in 2000, and I, this league is still going. It's like 22 years later. Jeez. It was more of a fantasy league with really nerdy uh, categories, right? So um, before, you know, war hadn't come out yet, but, you know, Bill James's RC27, you know, runs created for 27 out that had come out. And I, this is how – Ridiculous. I mean, I wasn't even aware of the fact that some of the things we were coming up with, uh, these sabermetricians had come up with already in a very similar form. So we've improved on it since then and kind of tossed our own categories for something that actually exists, at least in the uber baseball nerd community. But yeah, it's a rotisserie. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, it gets a little clunky. It's, it's, I think it's played a lot because that, that those are the categories that, that uh, a lot of people started with, you know, back in the day. But you know, if you think about, it, if you have five categories for pitching and one of them is saves, then it's going to make closers more valuable than they are in the real world. And, and stolen bases for uh, in, in the offensive side, you're going to have you know rabbits that can't get on base being very valuable. I think that was one of the re- one of the reasons we wanted to do our own categories is. We had played fantasy, or sorry, rotisserie baseball a bit, and it just, it just got tiresome to chase, you know, this mediocre pitcher who might become the closer for the Padres, and and this uh, guy who couldn't hit who might steal thirty bases. So that that was more the the impetus there. I I couldn't get my arms around it. I mean, I I mean, I I was just like guessing and hoping it worked out. I mean, it's just it was nuts. So I remember my friend. In high school, like in the 90s, early 90s, I graduated in 93, we would play, his father followed Bill James. It was That that was like his thing. I guess he had- in the, a, in the 90s. Yeah, he had like a book out and all this stuff. Now we yeah. used to, he used to draft teams and he would, he, he would play in this league with friends all around the country and they would, this is like when email was just starting out and a lot of it was yeah. just like weekly, they would, they would have letters or a meeting, I don't even know how it worked, but they would literally track yeah. the stuff themselves. They would track it with the paper. They'd get it, get the paper in the morning or whatever, you know, before you yeah. could go online and get all this stuff. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was, you know, basically it's exactly what is going on today through all these fantasy sports online things, but he was doing it hand, with his hands and his friends, you know, around the country. And it, that was nuts. And they'd put, they'd play for money and it was, you want to talk about putting work in. Now that was crazy. 
every day, but right. they go by week. But in some ways, it sounds like it was like traditional metrics. Traditional. I mean, they, they would yeah. go and, yeah. you know, I don't remember all the categories and all that, um, but I just remember, you know, listening to him because, you know, he was he was really into it, super into it. His dad was his dad was an attorney for General Electric and him and his buddies that they had met, you know, I think probably in college, you know. And uh, Are you still enjoy it, Dom? It's still fun? It's funny you mentioned. I, I still do. I, I think the last couple of years, maybe the first one pre-pandemic, it, it it's not as much of a distraction. You you, don't, you never want it to become work, and there's been more times where it's become work. Uh, and and so yeah, I've thought about I've thought about giving it up or taking a year break, but usually February rolls around. Like all oh, this draft, the draft is going to be so much fun. You know, can't wait to do it. So I I, I still like it, but. You know, this this year we we actually so the pandemic year we decided not to to bother with a sixty game season. I think a lot of leagues went the same way, but uh, no, I I still like it. But it, it was sort of the gateway drug into discovering Bill James, you know, John mentioned, and some other um, people who thought that way. And and uh, you know, Moneyball came out in two thousand two. Yeah, and even before that, you know, a year or two. People in my leagues were were really uh, interested in what Billy Bean was talking about and doing. I, I so I, I tried to become you know Theo Epstein before there was a Theo Epstein. I went to grad school for sports management, and I wrote we had we had to write a paper on the you know the, the next sports leader you think is going to be a big deal. And I picked Billy Bean. Moneyball hadn't come out, and, and the uh, professors, some organizational behavior professor from the business school, like. Never heard this guy. Right. You will. Sure enough, everybody did. Well, this is what bothers me, and and you can correct me, Dom. We're talking about Dom Rivers, a good old friend of mine from high school, who was the first guy I knew who who knew baseball in in the data driven way, and and I learned a lot from him. And he's still there's a lot of stuff I never understood that he was talking about. But um, <laughs> I felt that you wanted to be in baseball position your life to be in baseball and couldn't get into baseball. And I've thought about you a lot in the sense that I, and this is personal and you don't have to share, but like, I feel like because you didn't go to Yale or you weren't a former player or weren't six feet, you know, 160 pounds that you, there was, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm always a little sad and or a little frustrated that you didn't get a chance because I think that you, A, were ahead of the curve, but B, clearly have a passion and a talent for it. And I just was curious how you viewed your inability to get in. I, I totally see how it could work that way from the outside, but I, I don't feel that way. Here's why I, I actually did get more opportunities than the average person. So um, same grad program. Uh, there a lot of, a lot of major sports uh, or baseball GMs have come through that program. And Ben Sherrington went through that program. You know, he's right. Pirates GM and was the GM of one of the Red Sox World Series teams. Uh, Neil Huntington, the, the, the guy he replaced with the Pirates. Yeah. Uh, both Amherst Chris College Huntington, grads, by the way. Pardon me? Both Amherst College graduates, by the way. But both Amherst, right, that's right. Ben was an Amherst. I think, Am, I think he was backup catcher for the baseball team. No, he, was a, he was a pitcher, but a relief pitcher. pitcher. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, so you, okay, so you know, so him, uh, Chris Antonetti from the Indians, um, and – so anyway, uh, I was interviewing some people, and one of them was Ben Sherrington when he was scouting coordinator for the Red Sox, but another was Dave Littlefield when he was the uh, 
Warren of Marlins, assistant GM, and we, we had a series of great conversations. And so, you know, I got an internship with the Pirates through him. I also worked for a lawyer who, uh, who uh, was outside counsel of the Red Sox, and I did arbitration cases for three years, including one that went to a hearing, you know, some middle reliever you probably don't remember. But so I guess what I'm saying is I got more chances than some. I mean, my personal reason I'm really willing to share is, you know, I, I finished an internship and the, the job offers I was getting was, you know, you can be um, this, this minor league coordinator that's going to pay $21,000 a year. It'll be in the middle of Florida. Um, you have, uh, you know, my wife at the time um, didn't thrive. She's, you know, she has vision impairments. We wanted to live somewhere urban. So life kind of got in the way. I, so I, I really feel like I jumped ship before. So you could have gone in, in, in you know, the bean burrito, eating a lot of garbage to, to make your way. You, you could have gone that route. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that, and that's my point is that I, I don't want to go out and say poor me because, you know, the UMass program and that network and, and, and Dave Littlefield, you know, I know he was, didn't turn out as a great GM. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a great scout. I think he's maybe with the Tigers now. I should look that up, but, but I, I had opportunities, and I, I chose family. I think and I was also 30, 30 or thirty-one. You know, I was, you know, I, I had this music career that that I, Shaq knows. I, I kind of jumped off. The, I gave that about six years, and you know, now I'm a lawyer. And uh, uh, so I, I think that it's definitely true that if you're six foot four and super handsome, uh, like you're saying, have an athletic background. You know, all that sort of thing can help. Um, it, it also helps to be wealthy. And specifically what I mean by that is if you can do unpaid internships for two, three, four, five years, um, you really can, can make your way and impress people. Um, I, I, my parents were, you know, I had a great upbringing, you know, like music professors, things like that, middle class, upper middle class, but, but they weren't going to finance me. So I think the, the thing I take away from this is, is you – you don't need to feel sorry for me. And, and there are ways to get, to get into baseball. And I was given more opportunities than most. And uh, okay. I, I would also learn later that, you know, there's 30 baseball teams. I've never met any of the owners, but they don't seem like the greatest people to work for in general. And I learned later in life, it's very important to me who I work for, um, you know, going to law firms and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So I, I could have made those sacrifices and then realized I wasn't happy and, and so you, you never know. It could have been a blessing in disguise. Tom, you had mentioned something just a moment ago about uh, working on a you know no name middle reliever arbitration process. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and like what that was like? Yeah, yeah, I mean, because because yeah. you know obviously yeah. now that's kind of time can time timely now given the whole collective bargaining and stuff. I know it's not in the same scope, but I'm sure you know you just mentioned how the owners were probably not good to work for. Uh, so yeah. I feel I, I found that very interesting. Go talk a little bit about that yeah. if you don't mind. Sure. No, and, and the, the uh, player, Shaq, I remember his name was Rolando Orojo, who was a Cuban, oh, yeah. Cuban immigrant when there weren't tons of him. Um, really nice guy. He didn't speak English in the hearing, but everybody, and this was kind of drilled into, you know, do not be too mean to this guy because it's going to, it's going to come off as, uh, as, um, as overly aggressive. But the, the process, I mean, I guess, like I tell you, the people, don't know when you when you actually get to a hearing it's maybe uh, you know a conference room with maybe 15 to 20 people on the um, player side of the table 15 to 20 on the 
management side of the table and um, or team side of the table and three arbitrators down at the end. And you have, if I recall correctly, about hour and a half for one side of the case in chief, an hour and a half for the other side. Then there's rebuttals, and it's a mixture of lawyers and non-lawyers. But generally the discourse is very simple. If you are – they're not going to hire Bill James to be on this panel. They're going to hire lawyers, judges, things like that, or, or professional arbitrators. And, and so I think my biggest takeaway was it, it was really uh, – you know, this, this – this, it, it wasn't war or the equivalent of anything like that. It was, um, you know, Scott Hatterberg had the third best batting average of any catcher, so he needs to be paid like, like uh, you know, like uh, the Benito Santiago or something like this. Kind of ridiculous, uh, intellectually dishonest arguments in, in my I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by the numbers you're talking, though. I mean, you're talking about a middle reliever that really, I mean, nobody really remembers, right? He's still a major yeah. leaguer, but you, I'm counting like almost 35 people in this room to deal with right. this case. Yeah, so it was, it was. I think the player wanted $2.9 million and the and the team was offering 2.2. So this was, a, and that's, you know, that's still real money. That's like $700,000, $800,000. It's worth the price of the, arbitrators' salaries and the consultants. I mean, you know, there are lawsuits out there for $100,000 all the time. But in terms of the good faith with the players and things like that, um, I, I agree with you, John. I get surprised when play, when, te- when players and teams are a million dollars apart and they can't settle. And I've learned since then, this wasn't the case with the Red Sox. They didn't have any – and this was – Theo Red Sox, you know, Mike Fort was the GM, um, the interim guy, great, great guy in my interactions with him anyway. Um, and, it, 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 you know, there are some teams out there you might hear that, that always go to arbitration. If the player doesn't settle by this point, they're not going to settle and they do it to make a point. I think that's relatively new, you know, that certain teams did that. Um, yeah, I was there three years and we went to one hearing. There were some that we flew down there and, and it settled before we went in. Uh, the, the way they did it back then, it might still be the same. Uh, it would be two years in Florida, one year in Arizona. You know, maybe they flip flop that. Uh, but uh, yeah, there there might be some old um, descriptions of the process in some of the Bill James books from the '90s, and I doubt the process has changed much. I saw some media report where, in the collective bar- the current collective bargaining uh, negotiations. I think the the, the the sorry the owners proposed using the war from the previous year or something like that, which just to determine salaries. And I don't know if that was a real thing or not. But my experience was every every side really shied away from you know one category, whether you like it or not, to to sum up everything because you know the the players don't want to be seen as a number, right? They've got their own characteristics and their own personality. Right. Until until they want to get paid. Right. <laughs> they want to get paid. And one of the five or six criteria is character or or and health of the player and things. Like there's there's going to be those things like that. And even if right, if um, and so yeah. So that that was it was it was interesting. It was a good foothold, and I thought that was it. It actually did help me stand out. You know, I I, I sort of walked the carpet at the uh at the 
lobbies of, of the winter meetings three or four years in a row. And the, the fact that I had done any of that sort of stood me, made me stood out even from, you know, people in there that said, you know, Hey, I was, I was the star of my college baseball program. Right. I work in baseball. It's like, well, this guy's actually done it. Done. Something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I got opportunities. And that, so- that was, that was a fun one. Uh, listen, we're talking with Dom Rivers here on episode 59 of Fanbase, a deep dive in the greatest rivalry in sports. We're up against it in the clock. We, we only want to spend a, f- a few more minutes, but I, we have a couple things we have to get through. Uh, one is the issue that we, we've talked about a couple of recent episodes is this whole sentiment, especially in some of the sports radio world, is that the data, um, the data geeks, as they say in Boston radio, are killing the game of baseball. And... You don't agree, so quickly give me. You got. We got to be tighter. Give me your your yeah. disagreement. Yeah, I, I think being against data. I mean, it's, it's like being against knowledge. It just it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. It sounds very Pol Pot. Let's kill all the geeks, all the all the people with wearing glasses. Um, what what's happened? I think is that smart people have seen some loopholes in baseball, and it's baseball's job to close them. Right. So, uh, in the NFL, in in, the, in you know. 30 to 25 years ago, the hurry-up offense was causing so much of a problem. You know, within a year, they made adjustments. You know, to, to to the to the rule so that you couldn't you couldn't do that in certain ways. You know, and, and with the NBA, you, you you saw the change to the illegal defense because of the zone. I, I guess to, to be quick about it, if uh, if you don't like uh, the fact that uh, players are shifting it then ban the shift it's just it's so, it's so hard to move baseball in a large in large part because of the labor process that there's a perception perhaps a reality under labor law that everything has to go through collective bargaining so um so i, I the way i look at it is data is good it makes teams make optimal decisions and you don't be, you have to be frustrated when your team is doing dumb things if it makes the game boring, then fix the game. So, okay, so ban the shift. Fine with that. I've come around on that, um, and, and specifically because you can ban the shift in different ways. Uh, what two infielders in each side of second base, the infielders in the infield, and the outfielders uh, behind the uh, the infield, you know, in, in the outfield. I think that that might do, make a difference. Yeah, that and does that just, does not seem like a hard thing to figure out. The banning the shift i mean it's baseball why don't they why don't they do it then why don't they and why why didn't do in the collective bargaining why didn't more players bunt when they had three guys in right field like why not just why the stupid macho code like lay down a freaking bunt i'd be interested to see how many that was my argument for not banning it you know why don't they learn to hit the other way but you know it's it's hard you've got some of these you've got everybody throwing 98 now and then sliders they're 91 Maybe bunting's harder. That's what I was going to say. I almost feel like, regardless of how talented these guys are, they're so programmed their whole life to hit a baseball that these balls are coming in in such goofy things, it's almost harder to hit it when your bat's stationary. It's fair. It's fair. I, I wish I wish I could agree with you, Dom, because I wish baseball could make changes. Like they're still talking about a pitch clock. Like to me, a pitch clock is so stupid because no one's ever going to pay attention to it. Like to me, like an easy fix is if you're throwing twenty warm up tosses in the bullpen. Why do you got to come out and throw twenty tosses on the stupid mound? I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like it's so that you could save three because of the commercial time or whatever. Like why, 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 why do you have to have the stupid shortstop get five grounders before an inning? <laughs> You know what I mean? The guy's a freaking pro. 
Like these are yeah. easy fixes, but they don't want to shorten the commercial breaks because they can sell fewer ads. Well, so, the commercial breaks is one thing, but you 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 can work the pitching. I get. I mean, if you're in the bullpen warming up, you don't need those extra no, pitches. No, but don't you can need those you can save pitches. 15 minutes a game just by that. Yeah, that that is yeah. another easy fix. I mean, again, the pitch clock. Nobody really pays attention to that no, unless but, somehow there's some. Like legit repercussions, but again, it's like, how do you enforce it? Look at the whole thing with the sticky substance thing. That became a joke by the mid midpoint of the season. It was like the umps weren't even looking for the stuff, and then they just go on about their business and start rubbing something else on afterwards. You know, right. and I then again, you say that, John, do you think do you think people were do you think they were getting away with it again? I would think so. It was almost like they didn't like Brian and I talked about this before too, because you know they check the glove and then they don't check it again. You could go out there, you have something in your pocket, or you know they're not checking everything. You know what I mean? They're not. It's yeah. There's so many different ways around it. And, and uh, uh, Do you think those umpires really care? Do you think they know, really I care? I just know a couple of guys in the Astros look like they were touching their hair quite a bit. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I you know, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, this is a, conversa- a longer conversation for a different day because I, I just feel like if baseball was more nimble, then I'd be on your side, Dom, but I don't think that they are. And to me, the game – and I love going to baseball games, but it's – I mean – Four-hour games at Fenway, as much as I like being there, it's it's it just gets to the point where it's not that fun. No, it's way too long. Four hours is too yeah. long for a baseball. And so, all right, we're talking about Don Rivers. A couple quick things here, um, and give me give me your answers. One, Joey Votto, in or out for the Hall of Fame? Absolutely in. And if, if, you're, if you're one of those people that think there should be only eight first basemen in the Hall of Fame, then he's out because I think there's only about eight or nine in the history of baseball that are better than he is. Huh. What about while well, we're on the topic of Hall of Fame? Because we we went over this, we beat this horse to death. Uh, Bonds, Clemens, A. Rod. We'll just go with those three. What's your opinions? Yes or no? My my, my consistent opinion is, is put them in. Um, but uh, yeah, but if you're consistently against PEDs, I can see keep them out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Reds. Will they ever win a World Series again? You know, absolutely. As long as they don't move to another city, I don't see that coming anytime soon. But you never know with small markets. It seems like none of the. I don't know. I, I, so you think it'll happen again? That's good. I like optimism. I like their stadium too. You know, I don't mean to be too mathematical about it, but I mean an average franchise should win one every thirty years. It's been like thirty-one years, and. So it's not good, but it's also it's you know you can't go by Yankee Red Sox standards, um, or there's going to be a lot of disappointed fans. I'm going to do two dollars on the Reds to win the World Series. Are they not spending any money? Are they not? What is what's the what's the issue? Are they not spending money? I I don't I don't follow them closely enough to know like what the issue is because I feel like they got the fan base, they have money. It's not hitting with the prospects, or they have been very bad at selling low and buying high. Um, you, you know, what they ended up getting with Rollis Chapman, in some ways that was bad luck because all the domestic abuse stuff came out right when it was time to trade him. Yep. But th- that happened in, in several in, in several places and, uh, and and making some signings that were bad from the beginning. I, I thought Mike Moustakis was a fun player but a terrible idea. And a $65 million contract over four years doesn't matter that much to the Red Sox. That, that, you know, that's a mistake uh, – with Panda, that you know they can write off, but the Reds right. can't. So, I, so yeah, it's, I, I think that they, they've been mismanaged somewhere in the middle, middle of the pack, below. You know, not not the worst, but not the best. And and, and also, uh, penny wise, pound foolish. 
you know, if they they had, you know, they were near first place for a playoff spot much of last year, and if they had maybe spent a little on decent bullpen arms, they would have had a better chance. But right. I, I, they're mediocre and, and mediocre to below average, but not awful. Right, Reds versus Red Sox, like uniform team name, like yeah. who had it first? Like I don't understand it. Yeah, if you ask most people in Cincinnati, they'll say that the team that we have in the field is the oldest professional franchise. And that's not true. The, the, the first all-professional baseball team was the Cincinnati Red Stockings, I believe, 1869. There's natural connections to Boston and New York. Harry Wright started the team. He, he was born in England but grew up in New York City. And he, I guess when he was around 30, he started this professional team in Cincinnati that were the Red Stockings, and they were – undefeated for something like a year and a half. Then um, he became involved with the Boston club that took the red stockings name there. And uh, the, the sports writers started calling them the red caps, but they went back to the red stockings name when they joined uh, the American or national league, like in 1876. So there's, there's that sort of three city connection with, with Harry Wright going way back to the, to the beginnings of professional baseball. Nice. Hey, Dominic, you got something? You... No, I'm just kind of blown away because I'm watching 1883 on Paramount Plus right now, and I'm surprised that they're actually playing baseball I... east of that as everyone's getting <laughs> slaughtered and shot by Indians and they're killing each other. Right. Uh, it was crazy um, that when you think about from like the Mountain Man era all the way through to 1900, how depending on where you were in America, your life was very, very different. Crazy different. Yeah, it's incredible. Dominic, you're the best, man. I love you. It's great to talk to you. This is the most we've talked. We talked maybe once, you know, twice in this stretch this much. So it's it's great to catch up. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Great to uh, chat. Great to meet you, John. And I'll keep listening to your show. Love it. All right, thanks. Dominic Rivers from Colorado today here on episode 59 of Fanbase, a, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. John, great job as usual. Yeah, I think we will probably next time we talk will be in the new year for episode 60, I'm guessing. Yeah, we got and, some special treats too and, and a lot more guests. Yeah, and unless something major happens, which I don't think uh, Santa's bringing uh, bargaining peace to the world this I think year. we'll be dealing with labor. And also the uh, Moonlight Graham of the Boston Red Sox will join us, which yeah. is going to be awesome. So have a great holiday. We'll see you next year. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.